So let's start with reading James chapter 1. I'm just going to read the first eight verses, and then we'll, uh, we'll pray and get started. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes and the dispersions, greeting. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I pray that you would bless the not only the reading of your inspired word, but also bless me as I try to make um, the complexities of your word simple and something that all of us can follow. Father, we love you and we thank you for all that we have in Christ. And as we were taught this morning, we should be looking for your glory. We should be asking to see your glory. And we should ask ourselves each day, just what do we think about this God that we serve? And Father, we know in James here we have a practical application of how we serve you and how you deal with us in a loving and gracious manner. And I pray that that will come across that way as we study out this epistle. We thank you for all things. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So we learned last time I was up here that uh, James is a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we discussed that, and how the 12 tribes got scattered, and we went through Acts and looked at how that all happened, and that might have seemed a little tedious, taking you all the way through Acts. And not, but what I'm really trying to get across is when we see something in the Word of God, instead of passing over it, I'm, how, just in your own minds, I don't want to show of hands, <laughs> have people read the book of James and never tried to search out what the dispersion was all about or where it was talked about or what he's referring to. We have a tendency to gloss over things, and if God puts it in his Word... It's worth us searching it out and finding out why. It's like Hebrews chapter 11. When you get to the end and they're talking about Jephthah and, and, and all these other people, I will ask people when I, when I teach that, I said, how many of you have ever went back into the Word of God and um, found all the people he's talking about and what they went through and why they would be here? Nobody ever does. So what I'd like to make clear is that when we're reading the Word of God, it's not a sprint. Take the time to stop on those things that seem incidental because if, if it's in the Word of God, it's not incidental. It's there for a reason, and you can grow by understanding it. So we're going to move on to verse 2, and I'm starting this, uh, I'm stating this as the trials and their purposes. So when we're told about the dispersion and how that all happened, the, the first question I get with when James says, my brother encountered all joy when you fall into 
various trials, why would James, after the believers in Jerusalem have been scattered and persecuted, immediately affirm to them that it's not punishment? And the obvious answer is because when bad things happen to us, we immediately think we're under some kind of punishment from God. And in a believer's life, that's not the case. And James is assuring these people, yes, you did accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And even though you thought everything was going to be rosy after that, a life for Christ is not normally rosy. There, there are, and even on those roses, there's thorns. And they will poke you and they will make things miserable. And misery in our life has a tendency to turn our eyes to God and have us look closer at our relationship with Christ and how to cling to him to get through the trials in our life. So it's natural when affections come that, and things get hard that we think God is punishing us for sin. But dear ones, that, that's impossible because if we have accepted Christ as our Savior and our sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father, we are not being punished. Um, I, I, I'll take you to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. And this is going to have some of Randy's revised edition in it. So uh, just be aware of that. And you have and you have forgotten the exhortation, the divine word of encouragement, which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise or have little regard for or brush off as insignificant the chastening of the Lord, the, the discipline and correction of the Lord. Nor be discouraged, that's the faint, when you are rebuked by him. That's held accountable for your actions. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, he lovingly disciplines, and scourges every son whom he receives. He severely disciplines the ones who refuse to listen. So yeah, um, sometimes the, the lessons can be hard, but look at the two extremes. First he says, don't disregard as insignificant what happens in your life. And then he goes to the other extreme, but don't faint either and, and just collapse because you're under this persecution. And that is our extremes. We, we rarely stay in the middle of that. We, we either go one way or we go the other. And especially in America where we have so much to, to have any kind of adversity, we just kind of shrink from it. So he's saying, don't, don't do that. The author of Hebrews concludes the exhortation in Hebrews 12:11, And it states, now no chastening seems to be joyful at the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards... It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now James tells us that those that are weary and confused believers who have lost everything not in, in, for the faith of Christ, he tells them, count it all joy. They've lost everything. They're out of their homes. They've been dispersed. They're among the Gentiles whom they always considered like dogs, and, and they did all they could to stay away from them. They wouldn't trade with them. They wouldn't eat with them. They didn't even want to be on the same side of the street with them. 
Now they're being dispersed into their nations because they're being driven out of their own. So they're, they're in a hard place. He says, count it all joy. Consider it the highest honor or esteem it highly. Embrace it. Don't run from it. Don't get discouraged by it. But run to it with gladness, enthusiasm, and with favor. How many times have we been under adversity and said, Ooh, I really want to do this. Right? It's not our norm, but God's saying that should be our norm. We, we should. Our house burned down years ago. And everything around, our, our son got stabbed. He's dying in the hospital. Our cart got destroyed by a tornado. All this happened like in a six-month period of time. And the first thing people said to us from our church is, what sin is there in your life that God is punishing you for? And we laughed. Because in reality, it was the greatest time of enrichment in our spiritual life we'd ever had. We'd lost everything. And it was the greatest time of enrichment. That's how God grows us. That's how we see how truly merciful our God is to us and how it doesn't depend on what we're doing. It depends on who he is and how well we submit to him. That's, that's where the trials are gotten through. So you as being personally molded by almighty God because it is his plan to use you, he sees value in you, possibility in that what you have to do and what he's considering to do with you. That's why you're going through the trials. And when he tells you to count it all joy, it's not fatalism or masochism. This is faith. We have to have an attitude in our life towards difficulty that, that automatically the first thing we do is go to the word of God and pray and have faith that God is, it has a purpose for this. And that's not really a norm for us. It should be the norm for us. So he's telling us that we need to run eagerly and learn to grow in Christ, knowing that it's from God and for our good. Remember God's attitude towards the doctrine of the, uh, of the Nicolaitans and Revelation? The, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans was hedonism at, at its finest. It was, if things are going really good for me, God is blessing me. If things are going really bad for me, God is cursing me. And God specifically told them that I hate the doctrine of the Nicolaitans because that's completely counter to who and what God is. Our, our outward circumstances are never the driving force between our inward change. Our inward changes between us and the word of God and our time that we spend with God. Not in whether we get a new car, a new home, um, clothes that don't have holes in, it, in the knees, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> I've been teasing her because I said, do you need money? I'll give you money for new pants. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> I did that to a, a young lady in the store. I mean, her pants were all torn up on the legs. She said, Oh, honey, if you're in here for soda, you need to go somewhere and find pants. <laughs> and she just looked at me like, you nut. <laughs> yeah, I get a kick up myself sometimes. 
So, dear ones, if the Apostle Paul held the same attitude that was that of the Nicolaitans and that you shun pain and difficulty believing that it couldn't be of God if it's unpleasant, Paul would have never had a ministry, would he? There was never a day, I think, that you read about in Paul's life that went good. (laughs) Really? Really? So, I mean, we even hear it from the very beginning. So in Acts 9... 15 and 16, the Lord's talking to Ananias about Paul. Paul's already been um, blinded by the Shekinah glory of God and asked the Lord what he'll have him to do. So when he's talking to Ananias, he says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And this is a kicker right here. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. One of the greatest, probably the greatest apostle who wrote a third of the New Testament was told immediately upon being saved, hey, let me tell you what you're going to suffer for me. That doesn't sound like something the Nicolaitans that have in their, their, their book of Proverbs at all. But he tells us, so James is telling us, count it all joy when you fall into. This is an interesting phrase, meaning to be surrounded by, to be engulfed by, to be in the midst of something, and in this case, it's various trials. So remember the old saying, some of you are probably young and don't remember it, but there was an old saying that my dad always used. He said, so-and-so could fall in a pile of poo and come out smelling like a rose. And that's basically what's being talked about here. You're, you're, you're driven into this just despair, and, and everything around you seems to be collapsing, but you're growing like a weed in Christ. And you will grow like a weed in Christ, because the, the time when we look to God and for his leadership is not when we're on the hilltop and everything's going well. It's down in the valley when, when we're scared to death because it's dark and we, we don't know what's going on. That's when we look to God. And God says, if that's where you're going to look at me, that's where I'm going to keep you. And then every once in a while, I, every time I get on a hilltop, I start praying, Lord, just put me back in the valley. I know it's coming, and I don't want to stay up here because I don't really enjoy the hilltop because I'm waiting for the next valley. <laughs> so I'm a bit of a fatalist. <laughs> so... What he's saying here is being thrust into a, a situation that's not, that's not entirely of your own making, which becomes a source of conflict and stress in your life that grieves your soul, yet under the watchful eye and care of Almighty God, it becomes a source of tremendous joy. When Nanette and I were growing up in Michigan at my house, we had this, these enormous oak trees. And, of course, my dad wouldn't let me mulch them with the lawnmower. I had to rake them all up into piles, which it was a three-quarter acre lot with about ten of these things in it. So it could take you a year just to clean up the leaves. But I'd get all my friends over there, and we'd make these huge pile of leaves, and then we'd spend half a day destroying the piles, falling back in them and being covered over in them. And this is kind of the same thing. You fall back in that pile of leaves, they totally engulf you, and you can't see anything. 
That's, that's what he's saying. When you fall into these trials, when these things happen that you can't see your way out of, that's when you're in the middle of God's will. That's where the source of your joy will come from. It doesn't sound like it should be that way, but it is that way. So the point here is, falling into means to be engulfed in a situation that you can't see your way out of. And we should not panic when we fall into a situation we can't see our way out of. Because God is telling us, in that still small voice, I'm going to take you out of here but I'm going to teach you how to trust me to take you out of here. It's kind of like those in, in all those, those uh, management classes I had to take years and years ago. They always had that one deal where they have two people stand and one, one standing in front of the other, and they're just supposed to relax and, and fall back in the other one's arms. And they'd always put me with some girl that's about this tall and you know, <laughs> this big around, and that poor girl's in a panic because even if she wants to catch me, it's just not going to work. <laughs> and I'd get the biggest kick out of it. No, I'm not falling back into her arms. I, I don't care what her intentions are. It, she's going to die. <laughs> so we aren't going to do that. He says, so when you fall into various trials, that's multifaceted testing, temptations, calamity, Affliction, suffering, discomfort. I think we can get the point from all of that, but those are all the different words that Strong uses for various trials. Our life in Christ is not meant to be easy or necessarily carefree and without stress. Sin corrupts even the best part of our life that our life has to offer. So even in our good times, they, they aren't really all that good. There's, there's always temptation. There's always things there that, that, that are afflicting us. In our society, hedonism, we lose sight of the suffering of our Lord and somehow to believe that if, God, if Christ truly loved us, we'd never suffer. Yet, he told his, his own apostles, well, look at what he told James and John. They, they wanted to be on his left hand and on his right hand. He said, well, you don't know what you're asking. Can, can you suffer what I suffer? Can, can you take the affliction that I'm taking and so on and so forth? And, oh, yeah, yeah, we can do this. Well, he said, you will do this. You absolutely will. But I can't tell you you can be on my right hand or left hand. But what he was assuring them is, yeah, you think you know what you're going to suffer. You don't know a thing yet. <laughs> but your time's coming, and you will suffer. Christ suffered. Why would we not suffer? If, if we're supposed to follow our king and we're supposed to emulate everything that our king did, why would we think that we wouldn't suffer and learn the same way God Almighty suffered and learned and, and the person of Jesus Christ? It's just not logical to believe that that wouldn't be part of, of the mixture of our life. So we have to observe... Our, let me put it this way. Have we ever observed a fully indulged child or an adult? And little Sally is so sweet. She's just a little darling. Until she's told no. And then she's a Tasmanian devil. And she's just uncontrollable. And that's kind of like what we are. 
if life is just overly easy for us, when the trial comes, we'll throw fit. It's a natural thing to do. An overindulged adult is the most selfish, non-compliant, hard-to-deal-with individual you ever want to meet. And we don't want to be that. If we are the light and life of Jesus Christ, if he granted us life and he gives us his light, should we not reflect what that life gave us and what that light is to others? Right? I, I, I just got done preaching in the prisons this last weekend, Friday and Saturday. These guys have nothing to look forward to. Out of the 150 or so that I teach over two days, most of them are probably lifers and will never see the outside. But in Christ, they are the most joyous group of men you'd ever want to be around. They have absolutely nothing to look forward to except pain and misery and a, a yard that they have to go out on that is everything that Romans 1 says mankind is as God is pulling his hand away. Yet, they sing, they just billow when they sing. It's just a glorious sound. They, they write down everything I tell them. They have a thousand questions every time I'm out there. What am I going to teach next so they can read ahead? That's how we should be. These guys had to murder somebody to come to that point. I don't want us to get to that point. You know, the, the, the armed robbery and murder and stuff. Let's try to stay out of that. But they learned and they're there. And, and I, I can tell you story after story. They say, oh, you know, that's just prison. That's just one of those prison conversions. It's not real. Well, I can, I can name you many, many men that have gotten out after those prison conversions and are still in prison ministries and still in Christian ministries today. God saves even in the prisons. Amen. He doesn't save a lot, but he doesn't save a lot on the outside either. You know, it, it's a remnant. We are a remnant in the world. We are the elect. And it's not the majority people. It's a few people. So we, we grow by the things we suffer. Uh, I'm going to read Hebrews 2, 10 and 11. For it was fitting for him, God the Father. Okay, this is Randy's revised. It was fitting for him, God the Father, for whom we all for whom are all things and by whom all things are, to bring many sons to glory and to make the captain of their salvation, Jesus Christ, perfect through suffering. For both he who sanctifies God and those who are being sanctified, us, are all of one, for which reason he, Christ, is not ashamed to call us brethren. So we are what Christ is, will never be to the extent Christ is, but that's what we're striving for every day in our life, is to be more like Christ. When you get up in the morning, Lord, help me today to learn in my devotions. Help me today in what I read. Help me today in how I respond to situations. Help me to be Christ-like, because I know left to myself, I'm anything but Christ-like, and I want to be Christ-like. We suffer because Christ suffered. We are made perfect in suffering with Christ because he was our example of being made perfect in suffering. 
1 Peter 5.10 says, But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, be perfect, established, strengthened, and settle you. So there it is. There's your life in Christ. You're going to suffer a while so that you can be perfect, established, strengthened, and settled. Wow, I'm already out of time, and I didn't even get through this verse. This is ridiculous. You guys sure you don't want to stay two hours? You got nothing going on. <laughs> I'll, fin- I'll finish off this last little bit, and I'll be done. When you're, when you're riding a bike and you fall, when you're first learning to ride that bike, did you fall because you did something wrong and God's punishing you? No, that's ridiculous. You fell because you don't know how to ride a bike and you got to learn how to balance. So that's the same thing in our Christian life. We're going to fall down. We're going to stand up. We're going to fall down. We're going to stand up. The idea is we get back up. We must get back up. We must never stop. We are, James is going to continue to tell us we stay with this. We never give up. The same is true of our trials. Not all of them are because you're evil and need to be tried in fire. Many of the trials are because you're growing in Christ and ready to proceed to the next level. So you can kind of see it as a compliment when you fall into a trial. Because God is saying, you know, you're strong enough to take this trial. So I'm going to give you that trial because you've grown enough that you can accept it. So when you're getting beat over the head and, and life seems terrible, thank God because he loved you enough to think that you were strong enough to accomplish this trial or, or to succeed through this trial. And that really is a compliment because God says, yes, you are growing. And I'm going to show you you're growing by what I allow you to go through next so that you can glorify me more. Everything is always glorify me more, glorify me more, glorify me more. And in the end, I will glorify you because you're going to be on a new heaven and a new earth and a redeemed body where you never, ever will sin again. So just keep striving. Keep moving forward. Don't give up. That's the answer of James. Don't give up. See, James isn't a book that should be banned from the Bible because people think it's pharisaical. Jesus Christ himself told, and and we aren't going to get into it right now, but there are many parables that he talks about where he's talking about people that just don't seem to get it, and he's given them a task to do, and they aren't doing it. And then he tells them, you didn't do it, and this is your consequences for it. Just like a father and a mother at home with the kids. I told you to do this. You didn't do it. There's consequences for not doing that. And by doing it, the growth that you see in your child and the comfort that you get from them as they grow up because they learn how to follow instruction is beyond words. It's wonderful when, when your child gets a little older and you say, hey, don't do that. And they say, okay. <laughs> really? Oh, okay. <laughs> that didn't happen a lot at our house. But they, they had a really rough father. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't follow that really well himself. <laughs> but, okay, that's the end of verse 2. Uh, we'll try to get verse 3 next month. So if you're here for the next 15 years, we will get through James. Amen, brother.